uh, video that kind of leads into each one of the uh, the sermons. And today, the one that we're looking at is is uh, speaking to us about. Um, I'm not even going to be able. Is it not? Give me some help here. Ah, sorry. <laughs> Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah in the Old Testament. And I think, Ben, there's one uh, at the very beginning of the the sermon. No, not there. Back. I think it's back out of the PowerPoint. And then uh, we'll see the... We're making Ben run two programs here at the same time. (laughs) There we go. And uh, we'll see what Isaiah maybe went through as God spoke to him a little bit and told him that there was going to be one called Emmanuel coming. So, this is what you want me to tell them. The people, your people who have lived in dark exile all these many years with their their backs up against some Babylonian wall. It was one thing when you had me tell the king that a a virgin would give birth. Go back to sleep, my dear. I'm talking to God. Is he listening? What do you mean, is he listening? Are you listening to him? You see what I mean, Lord? Even my own wife questions me. Now, you are God Almighty. You do what you want to do. But you want me to tell the people that Messiah is going to be just uh, some plain fellow like one of us? That he's going to suffer? He's going to die. Why not Moses to lead us out of exile? Or uh, or King David, the mighty warrior, not some tiny little... Uh, Where is the oil for the lamp? It's where it always is. Uh, Ah! This is what I'm talking about, Lord. We are a people in darkness, stumbling around, stubbing our toe on the sin of the world. We need a mighty rescuer. We need, uh, we need a savior. Not some tiny little... Ah. Such a tiny flame. And the whole room is filled with light. I am a man of unclean lips. Forgive me, Lord. I will tell them what you have shown me, even if I don't understand it. 
I will trust you, good Lord, in your own good time to, to bring us uh, Emmanuel, to bring us light and hope. Yeah. Light and hope. I'm coming back to bed. Come, O come, Emmanuel. What a wonderful rendition of it there, Chris. And, and I knew what I was going to be preaching. Uh, and I'm hoping that, that as we sing it at the end, it affects you as much as it did me as I heard Chris uh, playing it there. But, you know, we think about Advent. What is Advent? And it really uh, speaks to us about looking forward and especially looking forward to Christ's coming. The people before Christ's coming, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. He was foretold, like we read, even at the very first sin, but especially in places like what Isaiah spoke about that, that Brody read to us. They had many glimpses, and even though they didn't fully understand it, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And we can look back and see the coming of the Messiah. He came. But He also told us that He is coming again. And so we look forward to His second Advent. We think about this time of Advent before Christmas. Looking forward to Jesus' coming. And, and this year we're looking at the hymns of Advent. And, and doesn't music combined with the Word of God do something just supernatural? Because God has promised that His Word is a means of grace and it changes us. It gives us faith and it enlivens our spirits. And so as we hear these songs, they do something in our heart. This song was written in the 12th century, and yet it's one of the most popular ones. Today we sing it to a rendition that is, as I was telling Chris, a contemporary rendition. It was written only 300 years ago, modern in our times. And yet it rings true to us because it has the Word of God connected to it. The Scriptures speak to us about singing God's Word and praising His, uh, Him through it. Psalm 146 verse 2 says, I will sing praise to my God. And Psalm 119.54, Your decrees are the theme of my song. Let's look to God as we think about this hymn. Jesus, today I thank you that we have your Word that speaks to us about your First coming reminds us of your second coming. And I pray that today as we sing your word in the hymns of Christmas and Advent, 
that we might just be enlivened spiritually and be anxious to see you face to face. Lord Jesus, today would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and cause me to have a usable gift to proclaim your word with all of the truth and the excitement and the spiritual unction that it deserves. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm going to call this a a three-word sermon. Now that does not mean that you're going to get out any quicker. It just means I'm going to talk to you about three words. And and we look at this hymn and it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We're going to talk about ransom, we're going to talk about Emmanuel, and we're going to talk about who is Israel. And and as we think about ransom, there are people who are, are actually captives, physical captives, and are begging to be ransomed. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, some of these things, it just triggers because I, I was over uh, world missions and we, we were always afraid that somebody was going to uh, kidnap or do harm to one of our missionaries. But have you watched what's going on in Haiti just this week? And I've, I've plucked off a, a little video here and I'm going to have Ben play it for us because I want you to think about what it would be like to be captive just for, for serving Jesus. Let's Overnight, two missionaries taken hostage in Haiti last month now free. Christian Aid Ministries confirming the two individuals are safe, in good spirits, and being cared for. The Ohio-based nonprofit withholding any identifying details about the two for security purposes. Sixteen U.S. citizens and one Canadian were abducted more than a month ago after visiting an orphanage outside Port-au-Prince. Among the hostages, five children ranging in age from eight months to 15 years old. The group kidnapped at gunpoint by a notorious street gang that had asked for a $17 million ransom, $1 million for each person. This video posted last month shows the leader of the gang threatening to shoot the hostages if his demands were not met. While U.S. federal agencies have been working closely with Haitian authorities to negotiate the safe release of the hostages, the White House has cited long-standing U.S. policy not to pay ransom. Mass abductions for money have become widespread in Haiti. In Port-au-Prince, it's estimated that gangs now control about half the city. Security in the country breaking down and violence spreading following the assassination in July of the country's president and a massive earthquake in August. Now with two people free, the hope is the rest of the hostages will soon be released without incident. In recent weeks, the American and Canadian embassies have both asked their citizens to leave Haiti due to a surge in violence. Today, the White House and State Department are withholding further details about the hostage release clearly concerned about any comment that could impact the release of those still being held. Okay, think about it for a moment. Physical hostages. What if you were one of those physical hostages? And it's, it, it's all too much of a reality. When we were in world missions, we, we had policies for each country. We would go and we would assess. We would say, these are the things that you should be doing and not doing to stay safe. As a matter of fact, we developed a, a full policy for each one of the, the countries and dealing with each person and told them 
These are the things that you can do to not become a hostage. And then we develop plans. What happens if you become a hostage or are kidnapped for a re some reason? And of course, the reason is they wanted what? They wanted money. It's not so much that they were against Christians. They wanted, but they thought maybe Americans would give them money. But every missionary in the back of this plan under their plan, had to sign an agreement. We will not ever ransom you. We will not pay to have you ransomed back. Why? Because, as it's said there, they will only do it over and over and over again if it's successful. If you were ransomed, sitting there knowing that uh, they are planning on killing you, if the ransom is not paid, how would you be feeling right now? You know, we move now from physical captives to spiritual captives, and each one of us has been taken captive by the original sins of Adam and Eve, and yes, even our sin. We inherited a sinful nature that makes us captives to sin. We know the end result. It's not just hell on earth like these people uh, in the video would have, but it's hell itself. Jesus defined it as that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so therefore people of faith plead, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. The good news is that he has come for his people. Yes, it's true that countries and even mission organizations, they're not going to pay for your ransom because they'll have to do it over and over again. But God promises to come and he did it. And he came and he ransomed all who will call on him. No matter how many, he's willing to pay the price. Even when the price costs the death of God himself. Think about that. It wasn't just a million dollars apiece. The ransom price was the death of God in Jesus. We've had read for us uh, today that portion of Scripture from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it reminds us the man Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all men as a testimony in the proper time. The first uh, aspect was ransom. We've been captive and now we have been ransomed. The second was Emmanuel. And what is that term, Emmanuel? What does it really mean for us? And we've uh, had Brody uh, read for us that portion of Scripture from Isaiah, maybe that was even just like Isaiah himself was talking to God in the video, probably uh, maybe a little different than that, of course. But the prophecy was, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Emmanuel. What does that word Emmanuel mean? It's really defined for us well in Matthew as, as the angel spoke to Joseph and the 
angel said, speaking about Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that. This virgin who gave birth, gave birth to God himself. The scriptures explain it well. Jesus was God, and he was not only was God, he was God with us. God with us. Let's consider the differences down throughout the the generations and the ages. Think about God's presence in the Old Testament. Sure, God was, we use that big term, omnipresent. It just means he was present everywhere during that time. There was no place that he was not, but he was unapproachable. Only the high priest could approach him, and that only once a year. He could go behind the curtain in the temple to where the Ark of the Covenant was, and only with the blood, and he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark. They were so afraid of the awesomeness of God and that he might do something wrong, they attached a rope to his feet and bells to his legs so that if he actually died in there, they could go in and pull him out without having to go before God himself. For too many of us, in our times, our relationship with God is taken for granted. The people of faith In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. Then we think about God's presence, not only in the Old Testament, but at the time of Christ. Think about it. Emmanuel, God was born as one of us, amazing as it seems. God's presence in Christ was good. It was great. But... Jesus began telling his disciples something. Think about this. You have God right there, and you can handle him. And now he tells you, I am going to go away. Can you imagine that? And then he even said it was going to be for their good. But how could it be for their good that this one who is God would be going away? John 16, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. And the reason is, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He would send the Holy Spirit when he left. Here Jesus is in one place at one time, only physically, not omnipresent like God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He lowered himself to be made one of us in time and place. But now he was going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God himself, who was promised to live inside of each believer. Think about this now. Not only they could have Jesus, Emmanuel, God himself, but we have God himself living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? We have full access now to the presence of God. God's presence at Christ's return. We move on to that. 
Yes, there will be one day when we see him face to face. We think about uh, Pastor Walt. His body was sitting here in front of us. But his spirit was face to face with Jesus. You see, God made us to be allured, overwhelmed and even addicted to himself. But in this world, our sinful nature has turned us to be allured and addicted to anything but God. Overwhelmed and addicted to everything except Him. When we focus on those things, we always end up unsatisfied. Can you imagine what it will be like? When you step into eternity and now without sin at all, you are in the presence and the beauty and the glory of God, Everything else will seem insignificant. And you will sing, as we've sung many times, that hymn, Beautiful Savior or Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us. And now we turn to Israel. Have you ever thought about why was it that this group of people in the 12th century began to sing or write a song speaking about Israel. And, and why should we sing about it? I mean, at that time, Israel had not been in existence for centuries. But they were the Christian church. They were not Jews. The first advent, well, they could have been singing about that plight of the Jewish people before Advent, but do we usually get so excited that we make up songs about something that happened to another nationality 1,200 years before? Usually not. Do we write about it? Probably not. I believe there's maybe an improper focus on what this term Israel is all about. Who and what is Israel? You know, there's this common understanding, and it's, it, it probably has a right understanding in a way, but it's the common understanding that Israel is maybe the Jews and the nation and the ancestry and the country. But we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about it? What kind of definition does God give about being an Israelite or being a part of Israel? And I believe that when we look at God's Word, it's not so much dependent on physical lineage as it is a spiritual relationship. Let's think about the physical lineage for a moment or two. It, it would seem natural to think of an Israelite as somebody that was a descendant of Israel or maybe even better uh, farther back a little bit, his grandfather Abraham, since God promised to Abraham to make, the, make of him a great nation and his offspring. But since it was God that made the promise, we have to allow God to define what he meant by the promise. How does God explain the promise? And if you happen to have your Bibles with you, or if you have one in the pew, you might want to take it out and open it up to Galatians chapter 3. How about an easy lesson on how to find some of the books of the Bible? There's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's a few other books that come, uh, uh, Acts and Romans and First and Second Corinthians. And then there's this, I like to use this, this term, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So there's Galatians for you. If you turn to Galatians, 
chapter 3, God begins to speak to us about who and what is Israel. And God says the promise was given to Abraham and his offspring, and it was given to one person and not all of Abraham's descendants. We're going to look at, at, at verse uh, 16, but I want you to think about something here for a moment. Um, this is some barley seed. I, had, I forgot to bring it. I had to call my wife and have her bring it when she came. We would call everything that's in there, what? Seed, right? And also, if I took out just one, and you can see that I have it, you what would we call that? We would also call it seed. But in the original languages that the Bible was written in, there is a difference in the two of many seeds or singular seed. And this is what God is getting at in this portion in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. He says there, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So this promise made to Abraham, who was it made to? It was only made to Jesus, wasn't it? Well, how can you have descendants that are so numerous that you can't count them when they're only one? But he goes on to explain that a little bit further. Drop down to verses six, or 26 through 29. And there it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For, you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, Slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who is Abraham's seed? People who have put their faith in the Messiah, right? In Jesus. God says that Israelites or Abraham's offspring are those who have a spiritual relationship with Christ by faith. In the Old Testament, they were looking, what, forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they were Israelites by faith. And in the New Testament, we look back to the Messiah, putting our faith in Him. And so what does that mean for us? All of the warnings and the promises of the Old Testament are to us, for it was written to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And I like Second Corinthians one twenty one. It says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So when we, we, we sing that, that portion of uh, the song, or we hear about Israel in the Old Testament, who is it talking about? It's talking about us, isn't it? And so we think about that. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, God, and ransom captive Israel. Ransom us. We're not speaking about so much other people, but we're speaking about us. And his response is, I have come. I have ransomed you. 
and I will return to take you to live with me forever. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word explains to us and, and it just all fits together and we couldn't even have imagined the possibility of how you came to ransom us. And yet we're so amazed and we just put our faith and trust in you and thank you that we don't have to stay captives, but we are ransomed by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.